Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Greg Cornthwaite. Greg is a gym owner, health and fitness coach, and a biomechanics enthusiast. I had the pleasure of working with Greg back in 2018 and have always admired his passion and enthusiasm for the work he does. I also admired his insane ability when it comes to the world of calisthenics too. Greg has recently opened his own gym in the city of London where he's going against the common narrative and is focusing on people becoming pain-free, strong, and in shape, and not just by focusing on the short-term quick fix, but the long-lasting changes. In this episode, you can expect to learn why strength training is so essential to help us become pain-free, the importance of stretching and mobility work, and what three things Greg wishes he knew before diving into the world of calisthenics. So without further ado, Greg Cornthwaite. Greg Cornthwaite, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am great, thank you, Elliot. So first of all, I just want to say a, a massive thank you for inviting me on your, your podcast. It's something that I've had to listen to and it's just incredible value. I absolutely love your your sh- short snippet parts. There is so much information in such a short amount of time. It's incredibly valuable. So yeah, what, what an honor to be here today. Oh man, the pleasure is mine and thank you for the kind words. I really, really appreciate it. And I feel like you're going to share a lot of value today. So once... Uh we've gone through the episode, the listeners will know why I brought you on today. So to get started, I would love to dive into your backstory, your personal journey with health and fitness, where it all begun for you. So you could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do? Absolutely. So I guess um, it all started in my garage when I was about 14 years old. <laughs> I started buying some weights, some weight training equipment and uh, yeah, started just training, so started learning. I mean, at that point, really didn't know much at all about fitness. Just used to look at magazines or whatever information was out at the time and just got the bug for it. Just loved the feeling of of being strong and also how strong can you be? I, I always loved that kind of like, how can you be kind of the strongest I guess like, I don't want to say that the strongest version of yourself, but pretty much that, you know, you're like, what's your potential, you know, and how far can you go? So I always kind of loved that concept. So I guess from there, that kind of led me into the fitness industry to be a personal trainer. So I got qualified, worked at various gyms, um, mainly private boutique gyms in London, worked at body transformation gyms, um, and then also did some freelance work as well. Dived into nutrition quite a few years, um, which I still enjoy. And then I kind of, I guess, oh yeah, from there I got into calisthenics and wow, what a huge love for calisthenics I have is a huge part of my, my fitness life and something I'd like to talk about on this as well. Loves about all the progressions that you can have and what you can do with your body. You know, it's, uh, it's incredible stuff, but also the risks involved with it. And that's something we can dive into as well. Yeah. And I guess from there, injuries, started training, didn't really understand enough about the human body, enough about the anatomy to understand the effect of exercise on the body and its potential risks. Had certain injuries couldn't really understand why. I just thought maybe I pushed myself too hard or whatever it may be. So I was always quite inquisitive about that. And then I guess it's kind of, you know, okay, I'm getting all these injuries, uh, wanting to understand why, and then looking at what's available to to fix these injuries, whether it's the, you know, whether you go to a physiotherapist or you go to a chiropractor or osteopath or, you know, where do you go to fix this stuff? And I think just from previous personal experience, there are 
certain methods and therapies that that I tried that they didn't really work. And it's also something as well that my other half has, has gone through. And again, it, it all felt quite generic. And don't get me wrong, for some people, it might absolutely work. And that's fantastic. But it's kind of for us, it was like, you know, this isn't working. So is is there another way? Do we need to know more about this stuff? And that's what led us to biomechanics, essentially, but it's kind of like a branch off biomechanics called exercise mechanics. And that's where it really dives in deep specifically to exercise and what we're doing and also how how forces or the impacts of forces on the human body when we are exercising, understanding what it does to tendons, ligaments, joints, the joint capsule, muscles, you know, the effect that it has. From there, I just kind of been going down that rabbit hole for the last, I think it's about four years now. And the way that I look at exercise is completely different. And I, yeah, it's it's just such a, a great hole to go down and, and explore. And it's really helped us define what we do at Strength House, which is something I don't think, have we talked about Strength House yet? No, I don't think we have. So then, yeah, f- f- from that, it, it, led, <laughs> it led on to my other half and I starting our own business called Strength House in the city of London. We're a private personal training gym and... Essentially, we specialize in like kind of two branches. One is fixing people that have had injuries. And then the other part is essentially te- teaching people how to train safely. We're massively into the education part of things. So when we get clients in, we really like to share as much information as we can with them and teaching them how, you know, or what's the best way that they can train. Because the, the way person A will train to person B may be completely different and the requirements are completely different. And so for us, we absolutely love designing all different exercises and trying to figure out exactly what it is that their body is craving. And yeah, and that's that's pretty much uh, a short version, as short as I can, I guess. Oh, yeah, a little bit about my background and where, where I've got to today. That's amazing. It seems... Uh very, very progressive journey. It looks like you evolved along the way and you just dived into where your curiosities had taken you and also necessities in a way as well, which I think is beautiful. I always think the best people to help you with those type of challenges, potentially with the injury side of things, the people who have gone through it because they're going to be the most dedicated to finding the answers. And with the biomechanics or even the exercise mechanics rabbit hole, it's one that is never ending. It's almost like, ah, oh, there's more, there's more, there's more, right? So exactly it's, that. Exactly it's just that. a journey with that. that. Mm. And that's it. And I, coming back to what you said at the beginning, I love that aspect of strength training as well. It's like, you can never complete it. You can only keep progressing or regressing, obviously, but you can only keep challenging yourself for more and more. And even if you're not moving up in weight, you might be changing your age. So then there's a, a new challenge. It's like, well, can I lift the same or be as strong at 50 years old as I was at 30? So it's like, I love that aspect. Sometimes it can seem a bit daunting, like the sense of like, there's no box ticking of saying like I completed the, the training or I completed nutrition. This is just impossible. And that's what I love about it. I think a lot of people are just like, eh, you know, I, I want to see something that I can just like complete and tick off my list. But I think it's beautiful that it's, yeah, it's like a never ending thing. So I completely agree. And then on that note, what has made you and your partner Tara decide to go down a route that's not super traditional. Probably be very easy for you guys to get people through the door on the premise of promising them results in six to 12 weeks. What has made you really, really intentional about going down the route of fixing people and providing them longevity? Because I can see the ethical side of it and the more virtuous side of it. But when it comes to what people are leaning towards. I know a lot of people want those short-term results and it's also a little bit easier to deliver on maybe, especially in a short 
period of time. So what has made you guys stay true to what you believe in rather than be tempted to go down the route of taking people through six to 12 week transformations, for example? So I think it's uh, certainly definitely personal experience and also experience in our own careers with having certain clients and putting them through certain body transformations and having a look at the outcome of that. So yeah, I, I think it's kind of for us, how can we get someone the result? So we always look at their goal. Let's really focus on their goal and think, what is the absolute best way with leaving you know, no stone unturned here of getting them from their goal from A to B. But not only that, the big elephant in the room here is how can we get them there without causing harm, without causing an injury, a setback? Is there a way for us to do that? And that's what I love about this because it's kind of like no one can ever guarantee that. We can't see inside the body. We can't, we don't know what's going on. But it's the challenge that we take on. So if we can get someone from A to B, no matter what their goal is, and maybe their goal is it, it is like they're going on holiday and they want to you know, look a certain way, and we can absolutely do that as well. We have the tools to do that. But for us, we're going, we're going to work under a set of principles that we've learned that will hopefully get them there feeling amazing just from aesthetically, which is fine. But also looking at trying to look at the inside and really trying to keep every single joint in the body happy. You know, let's try to prevent inflammation around these joints or extreme muscle soreness. And there's absolutely a way to train like that. That was the biggest thing when I when I first started learning exercise mechanics. It was that whole thing of looking at my whole career and just going like, oh my God, what have I been doing? <laughs> you know, and I'm like. I've been in the industry X amount of years and I've been on all these certifications and I've learned X, Y, Z and learned from lots of people in the industry, which is, which is great and, and certainly valuable. But then just taking a step back for a second and going, okay, right, I'm going to have to just almost park everything that I've learned. And you know, I've, I've still got a lot of value with that stuff, of course, but go, okay, I need to start again. You know, I really need to start again. And that basically comes back to the anatomy. Did I know the anatomy enough? to really understand what is going on with human movement and with, uh, with exercise. So, um, and you'll know yourself it's, you know, once you start learning the anatomy, you just go layer after layer after layer and you just keep diving in and diving in deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's an ongoing thing, but then the huge reward is that the more that you know about that, the more you can apply in the sessions and then the more people you can help, which is just, yeah, that, that part really excites me, really excites me. I'm like, okay, if, Someone, I don't know, they're, they're, they've got a certain goal, they're training in a certain way. Let's pick calisthenics, for example. Super high risk, some of the, the movements in calisthenics. Training on a certain training program and they get so far and all of a sudden their wrist joint hurts, their elbow hurts, their shoulder hurts. And it might not all be at once. It might be you start getting these little warning signs, these warning signals going like, oh, okay, it's a little bit achy today, but it's not too bad. You know, I'm you know, I'm going to crack on with the program and see how it is. And then it starts to be a little bit of pain. So it's starting to affect that the way that you train and the body starts to compensate. And then you're like, but you know, it's not so bad. I can, I can carry on. And then the week after, you know, oh, now there's a pain in the elbow, you know? So it's kind of traveled up there. So your body's compensated to a certain point. It's run out of ways to compensate. So that pain's tra traveled up to the elbow. And then you're like, but you know, again, it's okay. I really want to get to my goal. And then two weeks later, the shoulder goes. Okay. So then you've got shoulder pain and then it gets to the point where you're like, okay, I can't do this program anymore. So, um, I guess for us, it's kind of, if we have someone in that comes to us and tells his story, cause it's a, a very, 
I've heard this story so many times from people that come in here. It's kind of going, okay, right, let's try to understand why this might have happened. What is the root of this cause? And we can break it down. We can look at what they're doing. We can look at the wrist joint, the elbow joint, the shoulder joint, and we can basically work it out what might have happened here. And I think that's kind of, that understanding really helps us explain it. But then once the the person or the client really understands that, it's kind of like this, ah, oh, wow. Oh, you know, it's this kind of like big moment of going, oh, so I should be listening to a few more signals that are going on, like these little kind of niggles, these little pain signals, because there's this, you know, the whole mindset and there's lots of stuff in the industry, which is about push through, push through. It doesn't matter. You know, you've got to push hard. If you want your goal, you've got to push harder. And that might be fine for, you know, one person, but for another, it could be absolutely horrendous. And then might, that might cause harm to the body. So, um, I guess it's for us, it's really understanding again, coming back to what I was saying before, just about what does this person need? Because let's say I have two people that are built quite similarly and they've got the same goal and they're working on the same thing. The way that we do things are going to be completely different because they're going to have different range of emotion in the joint. They might have different joint shapes. They might have different tolerance for exercise. What's their background from when they were four years old up until now? What's happened? So the more we can really learn about all of our clients the, the better service, I guess, we can, we can give them and the better chance we have to either get them out of pain or get them further away from pain if they're not in pain. Like, how do we carry on training, you know, in like 10, 15 years without an injury, without any pains, without kind of sitting there, uh, you know, let's say the majority of our clients, because we're in the city of London, they'll be, you know, working at desks all day. You know, how many are there? How many desk workers are there that are sitting there struggling with, you know, backache, struggling with neck pain, something niggling on the shoulder, something in the wrist? So yeah, I guess we're it's we've taken it on for us to help as many people as we can with that and try to or help them understand why these pains might be happening. But essentially always it always comes down to strength. And as soon as we start getting people stronger, and I'm not talking about just doing big global movements with people. I'm not talking about, okay, you've just got to move, you've just got to deadlift squat, bench press, pull up, whatever it is. Like for some people that might work. But what if it doesn't? What if you're like, okay, I've been given this advice. I'm doing, I'm exercising all the time. It's not improving. I've still got this pain in my neck and my shoulder. And that's because the body compensates. So it's our job to figure out why it's compensating and what exactly is it that needs strengthening here. And once we found that out, and it might be a, a smaller muscle, it might be a bigger muscle. We don't know what that is until we do an assessment. But once we find that out, because the body has all the answers, basically, we just need to know how to test for it. We can start strengthening that. We can design an exercise for that specific muscle. And then we retest again, has it improved or has it not improved? And if it's improved, okay, I think we're on the right track here. Has it not improved? Okay, maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. Okay, let's do another, another assessment on this. Let's see what else we can find. But essentially, what, what we're looking for is limitations in range of motion from our left side to our right side. And this is what I was talking about with the body. Actually, it has all the answers. We just need to know what to test, what to look, look, what to look for and what to, you know, can we see, can we see these things? Can we see these limitations? And once we can, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's so exciting because you can be like, okay, in one session, 
it might be a uh, a muscle activation thing. It might be a, a neurological thing why the body hasn't been activating certain muscles. So I had uh, one situation where a client came in and he was a basketball player and he's saying, look, I absolutely love basketball. You know, I'm, I do a little bit of calisthenics as well. And, you know, I love my training, but every now and then like, I keep rolling my ankle like again and again, it puts me out. I can't play basketball for a while. You know, so we're like, okay, so, you know, we'll do an assessment and we're like, okay, we, we'll start at the ankle joint. Let's have a look at that. And we tested his uh, dorsiflexion. So that's essentially when you're pulling the foot back towards you on his left side, he had absolutely nothing. He had nothing. He couldn't dorsiflex his, his, his left foot. So when we're looking at, you know, muscle contraction and why it's there, yes, it, it moves joints, but it also helps control joints as well. So if he's putting a certain amount of force playing basketball in certain directions and landing on it, if those muscles aren't firing for whatever reason, there's no way that joint's going to be stable and he's going to roll it. So in that session, we just took that session to figure out why that might be. And sometimes we can't improve something because there's, it's, it's all protective for a certain reason. Maybe there's a huge amount of information there. Maybe there's something else medical that needs to get checked out. But we're like, okay, let's see what this person has today and can we influence it in a positive way? So we looked at trying to do a few isometric resistance tests with that side and it, it slowly started to improve. I'm talking, I'm putting the weight of my hand on the ankle and he's got nothing, you know, I'm like, come on, can you try and lift my hand? And then all of a sudden there's a little fritter, there's a little something, you know, sign like, of oh, life. Okay, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're like, that's it. That's it. Okay. Keep that, keep that, you know, have you got any more? And then he started getting more and more and more. And we got to a point where we actually got it fairly strong in, in one session. So this wasn't necessarily about getting it stronger. I mean, of course it will be good to get it stronger, but it was more to do with just the neural connection of moving a joint from A to B. His body had for some reason just forgotten how to do that. And maybe that was from the initial trauma when he first rolled his ankle and his body wanted to protect it. So it mm. thought of a way to compensate, you know? So how can we reteach the body to do what it needs to do to create more stability around that joint. And yeah, I guess that's what's, uh, that's what we can, um, what we can help people with. I had a chat with him, uh, I think it was about four months after that session. And I said, I said, you know, how's it going? How's the basketball going? Have you rolled your ankle again? He says, no, I haven't rolled my ankle since, um, <laughs> no way. which was amazing, you know? Um, and I'm sure that if I was to do that with 10 people, that wouldn't always be the outcome. But it, I think what I'm trying to show or explain here is that, you know, it's, it's really exciting, the potential, you know, once you can kind of innovate something and activate something again, once the body can learn that it has uh, the ability to protect the body again. And then once you can innovate that muscle and move that, uh, move the joint where it wants to go, then we can look at strengthening it and go from there. That's an amazing answer and an awesome story as well. And I mean, it's crazy to think how it could come down to something not obvious, but almost very, very simple, right? And it could be the difference between him enjoying his basketball or even being able to progress to taking it. I'm not sure what level he was at, but I know that that's sometimes a difference between someone becoming professional or not is just those consistent injuries. And most people will start to think, okay, I'm built of feathers or something like that. But realistically, it was just the fact that, yeah, he wasn't able to dorsiflex. And like you said, I can imagine there was just a protective mechanism going on. He was probably just launching off that, that stronger leg. And it was just, for, yeah, exacerbating the 
imbalance between the sides, right? And it's, it's crazy to think it could be so simple. And even if you take it out of a sporting context, you probably have a lot of people who be like, yeah, I've got this pain in my left knee or, you know, the right side of my shoulder all the time. And it's probably not a huge amount to do with anything they did recently. It's just a huge amount to do with, like you said, that previous trauma that's just not been dealt with. Exactly, exactly that. We had um, another situation, again, it, this was to do with, uh, well, the actual issue was at the knee. So uh, a knee kept uh, dislocating all the time and it was incredibly painful. After assessing, again, it, it was an ankle thing. I'm not saying it's always an ankle thing. Right? So we had a look at the ankle joint and what this had. This was actually on the right side um, of this particular lady. And the dorsiflexion was so weak. Uh, the inversion, the aversion, uh, it was only actually the, the plantar flexion. So if you think of it, if you're standing up and you try to go on your toes, that will be plantar flexion. So that was okay. Every other movement, so bringing the foot back, trying to look, let's say, underneath the foot from the side and then bringing it to the other side as well. Those two movements, there was just nothing there, you know, nothing there. So um, again, we start to improve that. And, um, yeah. And then it's just a case that if if you think about it, it's easy if I kind of demonstrate this in the video, sometimes if you haven't got that dorsiflexion, when you're walking, the foot will not pick up off the floor. So the chances of you tripping up increases hugely, absolutely hugely. So it's not even, and we're talking about a flat surface, not even like a cobbly road or anything like that, you know? So yeah, once we fix that, then that's absolutely helped, which was brilliant. And then what I found really interesting was everything was going really well. And then she came back in one day and then she's like, oh, my, my knee's been painful again. And it kind of dislocated. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So I did another retest and I had a look at the ankle. And so a little bit that I didn't explain was that we improved all these mo- movements at the ankle and that was great. And that was, you know, tested at every session. Everything was going great. And all of a sudden, she came back with this feedback. I'm like, okay, let's do another assessment. And we had a look at the ankle and we were back to, I wouldn't say back to square one, but almost. Okay. So that was a, a classic example of we've improved something, but then it hasn't stayed. So now we're looking at, okay, well, how, why did that go back? Because we've, you know, we've definitely strengthened it and reactivated everything. And what we found, you know, so that was, I'm just starting to dig into, okay, okay, what have you done in the last week? You know, and say, like, oh, nothing much, nothing much. I was like, okay. Have you been out much at all? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I went out, okay, went out for dinner, okay. What do you wear? Do you wear on your heels or anything like that? You know, it's like, oh yeah, I always wear heels. Ah, okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So now we're thinking, interesting. I was like, and so you were fine up to the point where you wore heels and then were you fine after you? And she's like, oh no, actually it was was a little bit painful after I wore them. Okay. So, uh, you know, at this point I'm not thinking it's that, but I'm thinking, okay, this mm. could be a potential reason why things have been downregulated. And, you know, so yeah, we did another session. We activated everything again, proved things on the ankle joint and all these different movements. I had a chat with her uh, this week, actually. So that was, say, this happened about a month ago. And it's been, it's been fine since again, you know. So then I'm basically, I made a little joke, basically just saying, okay, how many pairs of heels have you got? <laughs> okay, great. Do you own a big bag? Yes, fantastic. How about you put all those heels in this big bag and bring them to Strength House next time? We'll look after those for you, okay? Let's get this a little bit stronger before maybe you walk around in heels, right? And, you know, it's it's not like never walk around in heels again, but it's kind of like we kind of really understand what the body needs right now. So how can we improve that to a point that she can actually tolerate wearing heels uh, where it's not going to actually do the body harm? That's it. I, like, I can't imagine anything worse than someone being permanently fixed in a plantar flex position when they can't dorsiflex, right? That's like, yeah, you're literally not even just 
it on a neutral level. You're literally putting yourself into the opposite position and exacerbating the challenge. So I can see, yeah, on a consistent basis where that goes wrong. But it's so crazy to think that, yeah, that you wouldn't connect those dots. And I'm wondering, it's obviously all going to come down to individual context and everyone, certain situations, but are there some like universal things that we can all look at to make sure that we're not kind of, you know, to use the term like, shoot ourselves in the foot per se when it comes to our um, injuries that we're experiencing are there common things that we're doing i know obviously the rounding of the shoulders on devices maybe heels are there some other triggers and signs that we can look out for to avoid impacting our joints from that perspective like one thing that the whole exercise mechanics thing as as taught is it's it's actually it feels impossible to give any advice saying okay, everyone should do this and they're going to benefit from it. Because without kind of understanding how their body is built, it's really difficult. I'm going to try and give as much value as I can here because that's a terrible answer. So yeah, so to your answer, there's, there's definitely things that we can do. So it's if we're going to the gym and, or even outside of the gym, looking at different activities outside of that, but if, we, if we look at the environment where we're going, okay, we're doing a training session once a week, twice a week, three times a week, whatever it may be. So looking at this is a bit of a long one, but exercise specific active range of motion so if we kind of break that down into two parts so exercise specific so it has to be specific to the exercise that we're doing and then we're looking at range of motion but we're looking at active range of motion so our nervous system will control where our joints will move in space and that's essentially what active range of motion is it's that where can we move our limbs to without them being forced into a position. And that's, that is essentially it. So if we stay within that, then the chances of getting injured reduces dramatically. Can you just quickly explain what that looks like from an exercise perspective, just so people can map that out in their mind? So what would this active range look like on a squat or a bench press, for example? Okay. So if we start, we start with a bench press, because that's a little bit more simple. When we're looking at a squat, there are a lot of joints involved. Okay. So when we're looking at a bench press, let's say, for example, well, a machine press, because we have to be really specific. Like, is this a bench press with a barbell or is this kind of a machine press? Is it a dumbbell? You know, so the, what's the angle of the bench? So if we go for, let's just say a machine press first. Okay. So a machine that essentially says chest press on it. You get on that machine, you sit down, and you've got the handles in front of you that you know you want to be pushing forward. Now, can you get into that machine and can you grab the handles? Now, before you push those handles, can you move your hands backwards away from that handle? Or are you kind of getting into the machine and really kind of like having to get your arm back and move your shoulders in positions they don't want to be and your spine in positions they don't want to be just to get into the machine. Because when you grab those handles, you should be able to pull both of your arms back and there should be a little bit of gap there. So we're not on the limit. Now, some machines, uh, a particular brand like Cybex, for example, they're going to have a lot of adjustments on the machine. So you can actually change the back pad on that machine. So depending on someone's range of motion or active range of motion, you can adjust it to that. So as long as you're working within that, then yeah, you're definitely going to reduce the rate of injury. And the other thing, if we look at active range of motion, it's going to be different for every single person. We don't actually have to go to the limit of it. You know, if we're looking at what's the goal of this exercise, I want to get stronger at pressing or I want to grow my shoulders or grow my chest. We don't need to go all the way down to the bottom. You know, we don't need to get to that end range kind of joint position. 
Because once we start going to an end range joint position, all the muscular system starts down regulating. And there's a reason why our body wants to do that because it's kind of like, it doesn't want to go there basically. So the, this feeling of like a, a stretch in the bottom of a chest press, if you're feeling that you've gone too low. <laughs> so I think it's kind of going, looking at why we're doing the exercise and then what, what we want out of it. And if, if it is to kind of keep our joints healthy, get stronger and in, get muscle growth, in these target muscles, then yeah, absolutely. We can get all of those things from working in our active range, looking at the squats for active range of motion. Okay. So what have we got? What have we got involved in the squat? We've got the ankle joint, we've got the knee joint, we've got the hip joint. We've got all the vertebrae of the spine. If you're doing a body weight squat, you're lifting your arms at the same time. We've got the shoulder joint. <laughs> and then what are you doing with your head as well? So we've got all these different things to look at. And if you've got a barbell on your back, now we're looking at elbow joint and we're also looking at wrist joint as well so we've got to understand our range of motion for every single one of these joints before we think about getting into a squat because if we don't do that and we start squatting and we start squatting heavy and the next day you're thinking ah i've got a bit of hip pain or lower back pain or shoulder pain or wrist pain there's potential that we've exceeded this active range of motion which then we call a passive range of motion now for some people and people that are well-trained, they might be able to tolerate going into a little bit of passive range of motion. It's not as soon as you go into passive range of motion, oh my God, there's going to be an injury. But it could be for someone that maybe isn't as well-trained or had much training experience that if they go into that kind of end range position into a passive range, the chance to do harm to the body increases exponentially. So um, yeah, and when we're looking at exercise-specific range of motion, it is literally for every single exercise we do. If we stay in the joint ranges that our nervous system can control, then yeah, we're going we're to benefit big time. Mm. And is there ways in which we can increase the active range of motion? I knew a trainer a while ago who was very anti-passive or even active stretching. He said that taking his muscles through the full range of motion during his strength training was sufficient to keep his maintain his active range of motion and to even increase it. So I guess there's two questions there. Is there a way to increase our active range? And the second question is, can strength training within a full active range of motion be sufficient to keep your mobility and flexibility or is stretching and other type of uh, ways of working our, yeah, our flexibility and the mobility of our muscles, would that be needed as well as strength training? Okay. This is a, a huge subject to, uh, to dive into. and I, I love this question. So essentially how, how do we increase our range of motion? Is it through stretching? Is it through strength training and specifically is it through training in active range or is it actually training in passive range so i guess it's it's kind of having a look at how the body responds to all these different things so let's let's um let's start with stretching so if you look at what stretching is it's essentially a sensation that we feel when we let's say move a joint past its point where it's kind of happy now you're going to start feeling sensations of stretch as you're approaching your end range of motion or your end active range of motion. Now, if you're really feeling, if you look kind of like, let's pick a typical one, uh, like a, if you're bending over to stretch your hamstring kind of thing. So you've got this sensation, you kind of like, okay, I'm feeling something. What is it doing? Because muscles don't stretch, okay? On this you know, cellular level, you've got these actin and myosin things that kind of creep together and then they creep apart. So they definitely, a muscle will shorten and lengthen as it contracts and lengthens. So 
if we know it doesn't actually stretch, it's actually going to be contracting and, and lengthening. So then we're looking at, okay, well, what controls that? And it's going to be that signal from the brain that runs down the spinal cord and into the muscle. So that, that's kind of the person in charge here that dictates the length of that muscle. So if we're bending over into a stretch and you're feeling something, that's your nervous system communicating with you. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to give you some sort of sensation here to let you know you're on the limit here, okay? And you need to know that. So that's that feeling of a stretch. It's like a, we could call it a protective mechanism. I like to call it a protective fence because I like to visualize something. So imagine you've got this protective fence and as soon as you go past it, there's chance to do harm to the body. So let's go back to the range of motion thing. So does stretching increase range of motion? Yes, absolutely. Of course it does. We could, we've all done it. Okay. And maybe we just kind of, if we go back to this hamstring stretch and we just stay in that static position over time, we'll be like, oh, we've got a little bit more range and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So we're like, okay, so what's happened there? So we're like, okay, so initially we had this stretch sensation. We kind of, oh, we feel like we're on the limit. So that's communicated back to the brain. And then we just hung out there for a bit and the body's kind of assessing like going, how much danger is there here? And then it kind of goes, okay, this is actually okay. We're okay. We're going to give you a little bit more. So maybe it gives you an extra centimeter of range. And then you kind of hang out there for a bit and then a little bit more, a little bit more. But what, what essentially have we done there? We've increased that range of motion, but is that necessarily a good thing? Because was there a reason why our body wanted to stop us going into that, that range in the first place? I don't have the answer to that, okay? But I think it's just asking that question, why did my body stop me there? Maybe it's because the muscles around that joint couldn't really control it at that deep point. So unless we get those muscles stronger, then it might be able to control the joint at these kind of end range and in these passive ranges, ranges of motion, for example. So does, does stretching increase range of motion? Yes, but for how long? Because if we're, if we're doing lots of stretching and we feel amazing from it, then, then great. And then we wake up in the morning and then we retest that and we're back to the way that we were. Then it's like, okay, so I'm doing all this stretching thing, but every time I wake in the morning, I'm, I'm back to where I was. So how the hell do I make this stick? How do I make it long-term? And that's where strength comes in. Because essentially, the stronger the muscles are, that's going to communicate back to the nervous system, back to the brain, going, we've got this joint. We can, we can handle this amount of force at this deep range of motion. So it's going to give you more length in, in the muscles involved. How do we make increased range of motion stick? It's essentially understanding specifically what we need to strengthen at the joint at which we're trying to get into a deeper range. Because we don't just have like one muscle that is essentially moving a joint. Our, our body is very cleverly put together and we're going to have multiple muscles that help move a joint. So one of them might be fine, but another one might be lagging for whatever reason. Maybe we just have to strengthen all of them. Um, and now we're getting back to specifically the who, who are we kind of talking about and understanding their body and what it, what it needs. Yeah, does that, does that, that definitely answer? Question? Yeah, definitely does. And I'm just wondering now, is there rationale to then spend more time in those end ranges? Let's say you've developed more flexibility and range of motion within this, the visual example that's coming to my mind now is in a Romanian deadlift, for example, we know that you're going to be weakest at the very bottom of the movement. And that's where the range of motion is going to be increased. If we spend a lot of time stretching our hamstrings, maybe stretching our calves and getting more mobile in those areas. And what I've always experienced is a lot of people will 
have these increases in mobility and flexibility want to use the same weight that they do, not recognizing that they've now got maybe one or even two inches extra during that movement, which is significant when you think about it. Because they're just like, oh no, I did 90 kilos before, so I can put 90 kilos in the end. But you're like, well, it's actually two more inches if you're traveling both ways. So is there then rationale to be like, okay, maybe we now that we have this new range of motion, should we spend some time doing some pause reps at the bottom position rather than focusing on like going up to the 90 kilo that we were, lift- we were lifting before? So I guess my question is, can we specifically strengthen the limits of our active range, especially when it's newly developed? Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, this is going to come down to the person that we're, we are talking about. Is it a well-trained individual? Is it someone that is quite new to training? Because their requirements are going to be completely different. But I think, yeah, the, the question that I would ask there is how have we unlocked that additional range of motion? So if it's what you spoke about, we kind of, we're stretching whatever it may be, you know, um, our calves and our hamstrings or whatever it is. Are we doing that at the start of the session? Cause we're going to do this remaining deadlift session. So if we've temporarily increased that range of motion and we've done that through stretching, it brings up that whole thing again about, okay, what's happened here? we've, you know, our body was tried to stop us in certain range and it's kind of gone, okay, no, I'll give you a bit more. I'll give you a bit more. So it's that whole question again, going, should we really be working in that range? If we have to really tease our nervous system into it, into believing that we can actually go there. So if we think stretching is essentially trying to manipulate our nervous system into getting more range of motion, So if we kind of go, okay, so that's one way of doing it. And then we can train in that range of motion and it might absolutely be fine. But the moment that we get injured from doing that, that's when we start asking all of these questions. So you're like, okay, I increased my range of motion. I trained in it and I got injured. What happened there? So if we look at that and then we look at the other part going, well, how can we work with the nervous system to try to unlock this extra range of motion that we might want to get in this Romanian deadlift? So rather than stretching or trying to do a form of stretch to get into there, what exercises can we do to start to upregulate these muscles involved? So can we activate all of these muscles involved around the hip? Can we do that around the knee? And then what happens there? So if we just do some active range of motion checks for specific exercises, it could be a little bit of hip abduction. It could be adduction. It could be hip flexion. It could be a little bit of hip extension, depending on the person where they're limited. And depending on where it needs strengthening. But if we actually spend a little bit of time at the start of the session thinking, and we're talking like, you know, one one to two sets, very quick. We don't need to spend like half an hour doing this stuff. We're talking about the time that you would have taken stretching. So whatever it may be, three, four minutes. And if we actually do these sets in the specific hip range of motion, then we might find that we start to unlock this range of motion by working with the nervous system. So we're just training certain movements and then all of a sudden, our range, it increases and it, and it feels good, you know? And that's, that's the way I look at it is, are we taking something kind of away and trying to manipulate nervous system or are we working with it, you know, to really help it get into these deeper range and be really confident about getting into those deeper ranges? So yeah, if someone's wanting to get into a deeper range in an RDL, I would certainly say, let's have a look at the muscles that are involved in this movement. And can we activate and upregulate them at the start of the session rather than kind of stretching it? I mean, if you look at uh, systematic reviews of stretching sports performance, 
you know, a lot of them are saying the same thing about it's going to decrease neural drive. It's going to decrease output. You know, there's probably a reason why I'm not going to say it's like that for every single person, because it might be if someone stretches the start of the session, they go and do an RDL deadlift and they feel amazing. And that's great. But for someone else, it might not be the case. So I guess it's just trying to understand all the mechanisms involved and, and why things might be happening. And once we understand that, we can make some really, really great decisions, I guess, um, about trying to prepare our body for, for training. I'm going to ask you a terribly non-specific question now, so forgive me for this in advance. <laughs> so if someone is typically coming to you and they are just someone who is potentially in their 30s, their 40s, maybe in their 50s, they're typically sedentary, maybe a little bit overweight, and they want to start feeling better. They want to start looking better too, but fundamentally their goal is to be pain-free, not struggle to get up from their chair and all this type of stuff. How much is enough when it comes to their health and longevity from both a strength training perspective and potentially the amount of mobility, flexibility, and activation work that they would do on, let's say, a week-to-week basis? Really interesting question. It's it's very difficult to answer that. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say three three times a week, one hour is gonna put the majority of people in an incredible position. Absolutely. Can it be less? Absolutely. Could it be twice? Absolutely. Could it be once? It's better than nothing. <laughs> Again, unfortunately, it is going back to what what that person needs and you know the the state of their the current state of their joints. Pain? Are they in pain? And if we say someone's not in pain, but let's just say they're kind of, they're just feeling a little bit vulnerable. You know, they're coming up to some steps. Maybe they're working in London and they got the tube and they don't, the escalator's broken, you know, and then on that day they, they're like going, oh, okay, I've got to climb all this escalator. And it's just that, that feeling that goes through the mind going, oh my God, am I going to be able to do this? You know, and that, I think that's, that's something that we, they say, well, it's, it's a horrible feeling to have. Or even if you're going down, you know, you know, are the, are the muscles and the legs actually strong enough to actually slow us down? So I guess it's understanding specifically what, what, the, what they need and then, and then building from there. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Sorry. I don't know. From the strength perspective, but would you, what would you say maybe the work they might do outside of the gym, maybe when it comes to more flexibility work, do you prescribe that outside of the training sessions? Because I find uh, you just mentioned there, whether they've allocated like three or four minutes to their stretching before a session, for example, I find that some people either like, I need to get, take 25 minutes to mobilize myself before I start my session or the other people are like, I'm going to just swing my arms around and they get started. So would you say there's a, yeah, a, generalized prescription you would give to people from that perspective? Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. That is a great question as well. So I think if we're thinking about swinging our limbs around to warm up, there's definitely some stuff happening. Uh, There's a lot of momentum and the chance of going into passive range is, you know, very high. So if we look at, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, instead of spending that kind of five minutes at the start of the session or at the end of the session, stretching let's say if it's the start of the session to kind of you talked about oh, i need to mobilize spend all this time mobilizing the body before i train if we just start looking at certain exercises we can do and this is going back to that previous conversation of how can we activate all the muscles to then make us feel better training so if we do that at the start of the session and in terms of maybe doing whatever it may be some certain stretches at the end i'd absolutely think about okay what can i do that's going to give my body more value than that and that's probably going to be more strength work. So I take that extra five minutes at the end, depending on the person, maybe that five minutes is lying on the mat and doing nothing. 
and absolutely switching off and just taking that five minutes just to close your eyes and just going, you know, you've got a hectic week, a crazy week, stress levels are mental. Can we just take that five minutes of doing nothing? And there are some people that would maybe value get so much more value from that than doing anything. But if we're, if we're talking about the people that kind of like, okay, I've got an hour and I want to make, I want to work for all of those 60 minutes, instead of stretching at the end, I would essentially do some more strength work, an extra set in something. Or yeah, it, it's impossible for me to say what, because I really need to know what they need. And I'm only going to know that by doing an assessment. Yeah, no, I won't, I won't push you for any more specifics on that one. I know you're pushing to the edge of what you want to prescribe here. <laughs> <laughs> like, get them in for an assessment or I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. And it, I think it's, you know, once you kind of, just having that understanding of the body and how it works, it's, it's literally impossible to kind of say, do X, Y, and Z for putting that out there, you know, for everyone. If there's one person that, if I, if I was to do that and there's one person that didn't benefit from that, I couldn't live for myself. And that, that's just me. That's just how I work, you know? So, um, I would always like to just bring value in every, everything that I do and everything that I say. So no, I totally understand. It's like someone coming up to me and like, what should I eat? I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> what, what, what do you, what do you want to eat? What do you, yeah, you know, it's like such a yeah. broad question. Like, it's the worst thing that you get when you're like at a wedding or something like, Oh, what, what should I eat to lose weight? I'm like, where do we even start with you? Like, can we, can we, can we pick out this conversation elsewhere? Uh, but I want to make a smooth transition over to calisthenics now, because I know that's a huge part of your journey and a huge part of your life. And I know that you did pretty well in competitions as well. So can you share a little bit about your journey and we're going to then dive into where can people start with calisthenics and what place does it hold in your life right now? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it all started, I think we were, oh, we must've been about 18 years old. This was just like myself and a group of lads from school always used to hang out. And then some of us went to uni and then we'd go to one of, you know, whatever it may be, like one of their university parties or something. And it was in the day and we're waiting at a bus stop to go to something. And this guy just kind of, oh, sorry, around this bus stop, i got to build this a little bit better. Around this bus stop, there was um, like a scaffolding and it was like close to a building and there was lots of bars and stuff. So, you know, being lads, we were going up and obviously jumping on the bars, doing like chin-up competitions, whatever it may be, just having a bit of a laugh. And this guy came up and there was a vertical pole and he's like, oh, that's really cool. Can any of you guys do this? And he basically grabbed hold of the vertical pole and then pulled himself into a position that was completely horizontal. They call it the human flag. And I was just like, wow, that is incredible. So I was just so inspired. Uh, this person has no idea, by the way, that this inspired me. They have no idea. And yeah, ever since then, so we all tried it, obviously, and just failed miserably. And we're like, this is just impossible. And so that's where it all started. Uh, so yes, yeah, so from the age of 18. So it started just kind of researching a little bit more about it, uh, doing extra reading on it, buying some books on it, and then learning from other professionals in the industry. There was, who was it? The Cavadlo the, the brothers, they won a certification for it, which is a basic calisthenic progressions, which is really good. Uh, there's a guy that I learned from in, in London called Fitz de Boba. And um, in terms of exercise skill and specifics uh, he was just absolutely incredible. You know, when you see someone do something just so beautifully, 
you know? Um, so I was really inspired by that. So I learned so much of him and I, I hear he's doing really well uh, now, which is great to hear. And then there was, uh, yeah, I guess it was kind of like a little bit of crossover with Ido Portal as well. I was looking at the kind of stuff he was doing and I was more kind of inspired by the way that he moved his body uh, more, than, more than anything else. Um, uh, yeah. So I guess from there, I uh, started practicing going, how the hell do I do this human flag thing? And doing a lot of stuff very inefficiently because I was wanting to get from A to B as fast as possible. And I was trying to, I was doing it all wrong. And then, yeah, I started looking at other uh, exercises in calisthenics. Um, there's some really cool stuff. If you know anything about it, it's, uh, there's front levers, there's back levers, there's planches, tuck planches, human flags, all these like really big kind of effort moves. And then you get the kind of like, okay, all the other stuff, such as just, you know, your, your rows and your push-ups and all the variations within that and all the types of pull-ups involved. This is all the kind of foundational stuff that you need to do all the, all the bigger stuff. So I started working on all of that. And then I remember trying to attempt my first front lever, which is basically if you look at a pull-up bar and then you're grabbing hold of it, you pull yourself up and then you try to swing your body up into a horizontal position and then you lock out your arms and you just hold that position, which I could not do for years and years. <laughs> like how on earth do people do this? So yeah, I think anything to do, it's another thing that I loved about calisthenics. It was almost like this stuff is impossible. I'm like, how on earth do we do this stuff? So I guess over time it was trying to break all these different movements down and understand specifically what you need to get stronger rather than just doing the exercise again and again and again and failing and failing. Which brings it back to the whole strength training thing, you know, and there's a lot of single joint movement that we need to get stronger and lots of global movements that we need to do. And that transitions over like so well into calisthenics. You know, I remember a, a stage where I kind of didn't train calisthenics for, I think it was a whole year. I just focused on just weight training essentially in the gym, whether it be through machines, through dumbbells, barbells, whatever it may be. And I went back to calisthenics and everything just felt better. Everything felt stronger, which was great. And th the other thing that actually made, uh, especially all the bigger moves, the human flags and levers a lot easier was actually losing a bit of weight. I think I lost uh, something like four kilos in weight and everything just felt easier. Absolutely. So if we're thinking about trying to hold our body weight up in certain positions, being lighter, oh my God, for every pound, it's so much easier. So uh, that's certainly something that I think if if you're getting into calisthenics, just consider that, you know, have a look at uh, nutrition. Is there anything that you can do to make yourself lighter? Because if you do, this stuff will be so much easier. And also the, the pressure on your joints will be a lot less as well. True. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, is there three things you wish you would have known before you started? But I'd say maybe being lighter was one of them. What were the other two that you might add to that? Uh, exercise specific range of motion. Absolutely. My God. I think in calisthenics and maybe what I was taught before was this whole kind of mobilizing thing and looking at the wrists. Uh, I put the hand on the floor and I push my body weight forward, back and forward to try to, let's say, mobilize the wrist. And, you know, and it, it might work for some people, but knowing what I know now about active and passive range of motion, it's kind of, you know, that, that certainly didn't help me. I actually had a, a wrist injury for about eight months um, from doing calisthenics. And that was from doing all the handstands. So if I'd known about active range of motion of what I had available, I would have tried to improve the muscular control around the joints, got things a lot stronger before I'd attempted maybe a handstand. A simple test that can be done there. If we're, if we're looking at a, a handstand, like how much can we actually 
bring the wrist back because that floor is going to push that right back, right? So we've got the, the active range and then something that could potentially put it into a pa passive range. So it's just, it's just looking at that. And I think, um, let's say we need 90 degrees at the, at the wrist for a handstand. If I'm looking now, <laughs> I'm about what, 60 degrees. <laughs> so if Probably, I was to try yeah. a handstand now, I'm going to start to experience wrist pain. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's understanding your, your own body's limitations. And if you're, let's say, if we keep it really specific, if you're kicking up into a handstand and your, your wrists start hurting, maybe having a look at trying to strengthen these wrists before kicking up into that. The other thing is, is tolerance that um, we haven't spoke about that much. And sometimes our body, it won't tell us straight away if we've exceeded our active range of motion and our body needs to pass a certain tolerance line before it starts sending this stuff back. But if, if we've got to the stage where we are actually feeling something, we're like, okay, we're at that stage now where our body's like going, hey, 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 you know, you got to stop this. Otherwise, you're going to be in pain later. So that was, yeah, so active range of motion for the second one. Uh, third one, this is incredibly important, taking, taking your time. You know, if you're looking, if you're scrolling on social media and you see something going, wow, that has inspired me. I want to be able to do that, you know, and then going, okay, I'm going to set myself six months to be able to do that. What you may have picked may be something that is going to take you six or seven years to be able to do, you know, without injuring yourself. And that's with, you know, being incredibly dedicated as well and really starting to understand your body and its limitations. I love goals. I really do. And I love it when clients have goals. But I think, you know, it's up to us as exercise professionals to go, okay, if you want to do that, we've got to get X, Y, Z stronger or strong enough to tolerate X, Y, Z. Then we can like move towards that, you know? So if I get someone coming in saying, I want to know how to do a muscle up and I go, that's amazing. That's great. So we've got to work on these specific things to get them stronger. Otherwise it's just going to end up in an injury. And I'm sure there, there'll be a lot of people that can relate to that as well. It's always challenging when you do see, I think this happened a lot during the pandemic because everyone did start getting into calisthenics where there was these people who were skipping crazily and they're like, yeah, I want this. And you try for like three months. You're like, well, why haven't I got my result? Why am I not the same? And you're like, well, this person actually had about eight years of work. They took some time off, then they just revisited it. And it's, yeah, you don't realize like there is, yeah, seven to 10 years of work behind it. But then, yeah, Instagram makes us tempted to get these things in six or eight months. When you said that, I was literally thinking the same thing when you said six months, six to seven years is usually the more accurate way to look at it. But no, that's, that's super valuable. And on that note, Greg, if people want to maybe follow you online or check out Strength House, where can they find you? Um, so online, uh, we're looking at strengthhouse.co.uk. Uh, we also have, we're on Instagram as well. So that is Strength House London. Um, and then my personal profile is just my name. So it's just Greg Cornthwaite on Instagram. Um, I don't post as much as I used to, to be honest, more effort kind of goes into uh, strength house now as we're trying to push that as much as we can. And yeah, to be honest, that's the, uh, the main, main platforms that we're on at the moment. And where's your location base? Is it St. Paul's? It is. Yes. So we're, we're 30 Cannon street. So we kind of, we're bang in the center, uh, in between St. Paul's and bank right outside mansion house tube station we've got blackfriars there we've got cannon street bank yeah so we're we're really nicely located in the city uh, an incredible view of uh, of st paul's from our rooftop as well which is lovely on a sunny yeah. day I've seen some photos of that. It looks amazing. I'm going to put all the details in the show notes as well. And I have one final question for you, Greg. What impact do you want to leave on the health and fitness industry? 
Oh, what a great question. Okay, the impact that I'd like to leave is trying to teach as many people as I can or we can as a, as a brand about their body's limitations and understanding what their body is capable of and what their body is capable of on the day because that is going to be that is going to change for everyone and uh, trying to teach as many people how to prevent pain and how to train in a way in which doesn't lead to an injury or doesn't lead to pain so they can continue doing the the things that they love whether it be training in the gym or the activities they do outside of that you know, into their, whatever it may be, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know. So really, really understanding how to, how to care for the body and get the most out of it for the long term. That's a beautiful answer. Well, thank you for being here today, Greg. It's been an awesome conversation and I hope to have you back for round two in the future. Amazing. Thank you so much, Elliot. It's, uh, it's been an absolute honor to be on your podcast. So thank you very much. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.